आई एम सादिया तारिक एंड यू आर लिसनिंग टू धानी द पॉडकास्ट बाय प्रोफेशन ही इज एन आर्किटेक्ट फ्रॉम द पर्सनस स्कूल ऑफ डिजाइन एंड बाय पैशन ही इज द फाउंडिंग मेंबर एंड प्रेसिडेंट ऑफ द सोसाइटी फॉर द प्रोटेक्शन ऑफ एनिमल राइट्स एंड आल्सो द फाउंडिंग मेंबर एंड चीफ इंस्ट्रक्टर एट द क्यूब स्कूल ऑफ डिजाइन टेक्नोलॉजी आवर गेस्ट टुडे इज जैन मुस्तफा Hello Zain. Hello Sadia, how are you? Very well, thank you. And thank you for being on Dhani. Not at all. Pleasure's all mine. Thank you for inviting me. It's very very humbling and very kind of you. Not at all. It's likewise. Feelings are mutual. Okay, so can I just tell you that I am most thrilled to uh, see your posts on social media whereby you're conducting these um, edu tours. टूरिंग um a discussion i'd had i was teaching at a local university when i came back here in 2010 and uh, i mean i've explored sindh on my own i've been to all the shrines and sevan and mohenjodaro in the 90s and but while i was mm. away it sort of sits sits in my repository in my head and then i came back and when i was teaching i realized that our uh, present architecture students at any of the universities well renowned universities have such mm. a uh, dependency on the curriculum in terms of it's very like western colonial inheritance that we have with it so right, when you ask right. them about how does this connect to local traditional crafts or construction technology or you know what about indigenous materials or sustainable architecture or activities happening in rural parts of the country instead of just in the urban centers they have no answers they have no exposure it's not part of their curriculum and the scariest mm-hmm. part is that not only is that because of the history of especially since um instability due to political issues and therefore security mm-hmm. uh, parents that are my age uh, you know producing children in the uh, mid 90s have just ac- accepted that as a norm that you can't go into sindh it's insecure and there's a problem which of course has changed governments oh, have changed so sindh has become so sindh has become so safe touch wood i better not jinx mm. it that actually mm. anybody can travel but the children today the students today are not allowed to travel because their parents think it's unsafe so not only does the curriculum not provide them with the platform or the impetus to go out and do the research of their own inherited architecture and culture but even just general society doesn't so these tours basically got triggered but i said come with me i'll take you mm, it's fine mm, mm, and mm, i said mm. you know if you if you don't know your own you know the basic crux of it sadia is that if one is wanting to come up with an innovative language of architecture that is a signature to pakistan where it's culturally mm. relevant and um regionally appropriate you have to understand your own ground that you stand on and your own history mm-hmm. and its footprints in the sand and the breadcrumb trails that come with it so mm-hmm. i said mm-hmm. you know it's fine that you keep wanting to study modern architecture that's you know from france and from uk and from england uh, from uh, the us sort of western centric 
But why don't we try and find a way to get our students to find a hybrid language, create a hybrid language that actually mm -hmm. connects them to what they're learning in school. And also, you know, so I thought, wait a second, there's, this is a gap, right? There's a need here. We need to create a bridging program. Mm -hmm. So the Cube Educators mm -hmm. basically came out as a need to know bridging program. Okay, let me show you what's happened here in the last six to 8,000 years. And then you figure mm -hmm. out the role you want to play with it in your contemporary design. See, the idea was that sure, how do we take our students sure. to get into a new language that's their own? And when you talk about your own, there has to be an ownership of the land that you live in. If you're constantly wanting to run away from it or ignore it or uh, be dismissive of it because it's um, supposed to be unstable and insecure, then how does one ever get to define a Pakistani identity? Right? Identity Relevant. is a real issue today, Correct. especially in the digital world. Identity plays a huge role. Who are you? Where have you come from? You know, are you Indian? Are you left over the British colony? Are you left over of the Alexander's troops? You know, are you Asian? Are you Middle Eastern? Are you only, you know, are you only reflective of your religion? So identity is a very sensitive topic. And I thought that, you know, I only know architecture. Let me take these mm -hmm. students and adults, believe it or not, 80% of my groups that reach out and say, take us, get us to understand our mm -hmm. roots are mostly professionals and adults. It's not just the students. Right. Okay. So everybody is okay. now realizing that we, especially in Sindh, have an extremely diverse and rich, really erudite history that is reflective in our architecture. Mujhidharo mm -hmm. is 4,000. Mm -hmm. So, and I tell everybody, I said, you know, Karachi's architectural history is modern as far as I'm concerned because it's colonial and post-colonial. The real history, Correct. like the depth of it, is you go pre-Harappan, mm. let's go back a thousand years, two thousand mm. years, six thousand years, and start looking at how empires moved. So today, mm. just like information technology allows us to cross continents in the blink of an eye, right? I can, I'm talking to you, you're not sitting in front of me. Mm. For us to have mm -hmm. had this conversation mm -hmm. today, you would have had to go through this elaborate process of flights and airports and whatnot. And, you know, a few years ago, you may have to come on ship. And a few years for, this further back, <laughs> you would have had to come on camelback, right? So <laughs> today, when we, when, so for the digital student who has grown up with the smartphone, who's grown up with access to the World Wide Web, who's grown up with incredible amounts of uh, information, you know, within a few clicks, for them to understand movement of empires is very easy, believe it or not. True, so, true. So the, yeah. the Cube Editor has evolved, Sadia, into this a being of its own, which I hadn't really envisioned uh, nine years ago when I started mm. it. I thought, you know, let's take them back mm. to show them their own architectural history, the motives, the structures, the proportions. But actually, it's become a much more sensitive and really fun process, even for me. I go back to mm. some of the mm. same places repeatedly and people ask me, don't you get bored? And no, I discover new things every time I'm there because the group of people that go with me are different. And so they have different questions. So true, I have to then look true. at different ways at the same thing. And I mean, Makli, Mohenjo-daro, Ranikot, Sevan, mm. the shrines and, and um, uh, other parts of Sindh, like Sachal Sarmas, um, the Lahore shrines. And if you go further east to Nagar Parker, we have the temples, the Jain and Hindu and Muslim te um, Buddhist temples. You go all the way up north yeah, to Bahi, yeah. beyond Taxila to look at the um, Tantric third century Chinese monastery. You know, I mean, it's incredible the depth and width of stuff yeah. that we have to show people. Yesterday, I was at the book launch for mm. the Runny Code book. It's the first mm. monstrous encyclopedic English, well-written, well-printed, 
solid document on the world's largest port, which sits right here, three hours drive from me in Karachi. Oh, wow. I mean, that's pretty profound, oh, wow. you know, that we have totally. poignant, poignant moments of history right here, and it just gets ignored decade after decade. Yeah, it is about, I, I think I totally agree with you. It is about awareness. It's about acceptance and it's about taking ownership. This is my soil. This is where yes. I belong. And this is what it's all about. Absolutely. So I'm very keen on this statement that I repeat back ad nauseum to everyone is own your heritage. Unless you don't start mm. owning your heritage, you know, waving those green and white flags on 14th August is fairly meaningless. You've got to know that these are my roots. This is my soil. You know, this is the land that I live on. This is the value of the land, even from a geographical point of view. So we look at the, the oh, movement oh, of empires based on why they were coming from the east, uh, west to the east. What was the role mm. that the Himalayas played? What role did the Mongols mm. play? Why were they pushed down to the Indus? What role, mm. you know, what level mm. of value does the Indian Ocean have in terms of warm waters and trade mm. routes? So, you know, all of that plays an enormous role in this. Mm. I would never have yeah, thought the that magnanimous I'd be talking I never thought I'd be talking about, you know, history with, with geography connected to it and technology and culture and sociology. But, you know, it's it, it, the architecture has triggered all of this. And how beautiful, really, it's, as you're saying, it's now an entire different being altogether. It's like this massive animal that you have with you. And yes. it's, I foresee you going all over um, uh, Pakistan. And uh, it's it's tremendous, really. I love the weave of, as you're saying, architecture with cultural heritage and geography and history. It's amazing. It is amazing. It's so much so fun. It's some, so much some, fun you can't imagine. Like even the music plays yeah. a role in it, right? The music changes, the instruments really? change. Oh. It's just, mm, so mm. the closer to the Delta that you are, the music has connections to music that goes all the way up the Khaliji coast, right? So all this Balochi music, goes all the way up to the mm. Khaliji coast. It has the same lilt to it. As you go up into the mountains, the string instruments start sounding different. You know, Central Sindh is different. You head wow. towards Rajasthan and Nagarpakar. So you can either look at it and see the music, or you can close your eyes, hear the music, and imagine the architecture. It's just incredible. Wow. So it's like feeding all the senses, right? If, if it's music, you hear, and if you, it's, 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 you visualize, you learn. Amazing. Oh, wow. So this is what we talk about, right? It's all about this out-of-the-classroom experiential learning, right? So mm. books will only take you so far. PowerPoint presentations True. in the classroom will only take you so far. But when you can go out there and touch the object and feel it and see it and connect to its energy, it's a whole other level of understanding history. Oh, sure. It just kind of seeps in you, right? So it just yeah. makes its own space within. And it's hence learning and then remembering and then reflecting. So it's all, yes, all kind of bilkul, there. Bilkul, bilkul, bilkul. Absolutely. Absolutely. So I know that you're managing Cube. And on the other hand, there is another passion that you are uh, f following is that of animal protection rights. Yes. And the society that you um, founded and then you're heading uh, managed to um, get a bill passed for animal rights. Yep. So this what, is a funny how, story. How is all of that? Hmm. Yeah, again, you know, um, again, unplanned. Um, it was the attempt at trying to save um, a friend's neighbor's um, husky puppy who I'd hmm. seen suffering. He'd been left outside in a 
uh, cage on the cement when it was still, you know, 45 degrees um, in the summer of Karachi two years ago. And, you know, I saw, I, I, once I realized what was happening, which took me not very long, I saw a few pictures, I made a few phone calls. So in the attempt to try to save this dog, I realized that there was a message. You know, I believe that really all of us, the best we can be, uh, it's a personal opinion, obviously, are conduits, right? And we can be channels and we can be messengers for potentially other bigger messages that the universe sends to us. You have to listen to it and then look outside of yourself and your daily mundane life, you know, at the end of your nose, at the bigger picture. So this dog passed away in my hands. He was extremely unwell and there was no way he was going to last. But you work on it, right? Because there's hope. One lives, one has to have yeah. hope. Otherwise, there's no point. Yeah. So when he passed yeah. away, I thought that doesn't make any sense. I've had so many animals of my own who've come and gone, other friends. Why was this random stranger's dog brought into my radar, into my orbit? And if I walk away from it, I've just spent, I spent 48 hours in the ICU with this dog. The owner wasn't there. And it was a really mm -hmm. moving experience. So I came out of it and said something has to be, had to be done. And then I did some research on what law was available. And it was very thin and outdated and absurd, therefore, obsolete and absurd. So mm -hmm. I said, then I looked up what sort of organizations were available. Really, again, thin, ghostly, you know, not very effective. So I said, let's talk about the bigger picture here and look at the role that human rights play in giving rights to the animals, right? We keep fighting for things that we want. But you know, Sadia, how much do we give? Every time we talk about human rights, it's what the human needs. What about the human that should give? Because they have more rights than most other things, right? We hmm. call ourselves hmm. Ashraf al-Makhlukat. That gives you an inherent set of rights that you need to uh, apply, I believe, in a responsible, humane manner. And the Bezaban Janwar Great. is the most angelic, um, magical creature to be able to give your energy towards because it doesn't expect anything. You know, um, sure. so th this is how it began. So I said, let's look at this. Legislation had to be worked on. You know, the uh, office that set up our uh, legal structure for us, they said, we'll work on this because we've lost our own dogs. And the beauty is that everybody mm. I touched or reached out to and said, they all had horrible stories of having lost their animals in some barbaric manner. And I thought, but you know, you need, somebody needs to be that channel, that conduit, that trigger. So they said, and before you knew it, suddenly the society was up, the memorandums were ready, the founders came on board, um, everything was set. It's like, it's MO in terms of modus operandi, what it would be, how it would work. And we basically focused on, I said, look, there's enough people who are doing daily crisis management, which is street rescues. What about setting mm -hmm. up a platform? What about developing a language? What about getting into education, redoing the whole legislative mm -hmm. system and actually talking mm -hmm. about the Bezaban as if we were looking at special needs children? So that was the impetus that triggered all of this, that that animal mm -hmm. is like either accessing or owning or having in your house or helping a special needs child all your life. The minute we, right. I, I sort of turned the paradigm around and said, let's look at this. What would be the equivalent of a human need here? And that's what came up. And you know, it, it, it just grew again. It grew from there. The bill was helped. Uh, like I said, the legal office that was helping us set up SPAR did it. Murtaza Wahab was um, senator at that time. He'd had an issue with his dog being poisoned on the street. He said, I'll help you. He oh. pushed the bill through. So the bill was upgraded, mm -hmm. updated. It's been tabled. And now actually it's being developed further. Because the problem is 
that even though it's been upgraded and there's been a huge hoo-ha saying, wow, fantastic, it's happened, nobody knows how to apply it. So the application mm -hmm. mechanisms and framework are being developed now. The committees, the bodies, okay. the funding systems, what happens if you have a complaint and you go to your local police station? How is the policeman supposed to uh, register their FIR and what action should they take? The interesting thing mm -hmm. is that um, this happened January 2018. And just last summer, when the elections were happening, there was a case of a dog that had been shot with some um, innocent dog just sitting around, not bothering anybody, had been shot uh, oh, viciously with five uh, bullets. Um, because he had a flag on him that belonged to a, an, an opposing party. And so they said, you know, these people are awful. And they killed the dog. And there's this video that's shot of this dog jumping up and down in oh pain and as it dies. The interesting thing hmm. is, this happened in the north. Somebody called me and said, Zain, kya kare hum? I said, immediately go online and register that FIR. And let's see what happens. Hmm. Sadia, you won't hmm. believe it. Those Within 12 hours, the police of that district caught two people. They were fined. They were punished. Now, Whoa. You know, it's, an, um, it's a great, great break in the general structure. It's a huge, like, break in the dike. The dike yeah, is broken. The yeah. water is starting flood. Now people are saying we have a precedent, right? These people were treated the same way somebody who'd abused and killed a child, a human would be. They were caught. They were tried the same way. They were fined based on what was in that bill. So really mm -hmm. interesting that the, the wheels of motion have started. Mm-hmm, mm -hmm. And the work continues. So um, the work continues, right. So I am assuming that you have uh, a decent um, team working for you with, with this purpose. I have an incredible team. And believe it or not, at this point, they're all volunteers. So whether we have our mm. volunteers who are working on uh, getting involved in the TNR program right now, our big focus is the TNR program for Karachi. We're basically trying to reduce the fear of rabies in the city, work with the WHO uh -huh. and say, please keep us in your fold in terms of what your uh, regional rabies projects are like so that we know what's happening and we can, you know, get involved and learn and share some of the technical knowledge. Um, we're setting up in all of the districts of Karachi, as many as required clinics, it could be over 30 for these surgeries, for these anti-rabies shots, looking for funding for it. Right now, I haven't had any funds in the last year and a half come through for all the work we've done. It's all been done by volunteers. But obviously, setting up clinics mm -hmm. is going to require equipment and medication and bandages and biodine and all sorts of things. So sure, that's, sure. that's the thing that I'm working on right now is getting large funding in for setting up these different clinics. And we're open to even corporations or industrialists adopting one clinic per district and setting it up so that the dog population in this city can be controlled. Our role model, of course, is Istanbul, right? They've done a fantastic job in Turkey mm. in terms of tagging the dogs, sterilizing them. So it's the males are neutered, the females are uh, spayed. Oh, wow. They're tagged by their ears. They're all given anti-rabies shots. So suddenly you have a dog population that's not really controlled because they're not reproducing. So we don't have to poison them and shoot them and be mean and cruel and harmful. But also mm. because their hormones have been controlled, they're also less aggressive. And they've been given, Correct. which is what we're going to do also, is give them allocated locations for feeding. We'll tell the communities there's a huge project being pushed through for community engagement. Schools, education programs, um, books. There's, there's a document we've created at SPART that's basic knowledge on the dog, the street animal, the pet, what you should do, what you shouldn't do, how to feed it. Mm. So that's going to become structured. 
And that way, if the right. dog on the street is not hunting for his food, and he knows that every he knows that seven in the morning, mm. seven in the evening, I will get food. That dog chills out. <laughs> so, you know, everybody <laughs> relaxes. The dog chills out. The kids yeah. on the street are not bothered because he's not hungry. He's not being aggressive. Mothers are not having to protect their pups because she's not producing anymore. Uh, males are not having to worry about their packs because their testosterone has been removed. You know, I mean, the whole thing works. And of course, it's not foolproof, right? We're not going to wipe out an entire species. Certainly don't want to. Sure. But at least the sure. numbers will come into a manageable um, population that we can then More manage civilized. properly. Yeah. Right. It's just, it's much and I'm easier. assuming this is not. Sorry, I'm just assuming that this is not just for dogs. Right now, the um, biggest this... problem is dogs. So it ah, will go from okay, dogs okay. into cats. But the big problem hmm. is dogs because, you know, they're aggressive and they come out to play and they want to interact with a human. So that's the problem. The cat will see you and run away. The dog will not necessarily always run away. They'll want to interact. And that's a problem for the dog. Yeah. Well, I suppose it is for the human also. And we're not a very, yeah. we're not a yeah. very dog-friendly society. We're not a very pet-friendly society. So it really is like swimming upstream in all of this work. You know, the way they treat donkeys, yeah. the way they treat general beasts of burden. There's a yeah. lot of stuff. There's an yeah. article, um, interview I did recently that's going to come up in press very soon about this whole issue of I exporting live donkeys or farming live donkeys to export to China. You know, we're trying to put a control on that also because that will also set a precedent for all the wrong legal and illegal activities to happen. So the yeah. work that's being done is at a national level, provincial level. Um, and hopefully mm. that once, you know, the organization is, you know, a little bit more mature, we will be able to provide all the other foster homes and um, rescue operations, a platform to operate through. They'll have the legal uh, muscle to flex anytime they need that support. We're also working on a sanctuary mm. uh, and a accommodation, oh. like a short term accommodation for people who are traveling or who have brought pets home, realize that somebody's allergic to them and they need to rehouse them. And sometimes the animal suffers as much as the human in that transition time. We can take it over, for, keep it in a place like a little mini animal hotel, pet hotel, and then send it off to wherever it needs mm -hmm. to go next. Mm -hmm. So the animal sanctuary... Oh, that sounds wonderful. The animal sanctuary will hopefully have, you know, conferencing facilities, state-of-the-art hospital, veterinary hospital. We don't have enough of those here. Um, there's a lot of problems we're suffering with the trade of wild animals, right? There's lion cubs coming in and out, being treated poorly. You know, sometimes I'm having, I get a call and mm -hmm. we've got to try and figure out how to stop the trade of pangolins. So many, many times when the circus shuts down, I send the animals to the zoo. Sadia, the zoo has its mm -hmm. own set of problems to manage. You know, they can't keep taking my of rescue course, animals. And you're managing that as well. And that's also on our agenda. They're like, so <laughs> you're helping us on one end and then making life more difficult for us on the other. So, you know, and... They're an amazing group of people and they do take on, you know, when we shut the circus down, they do take on the chimpanzees and the lions, which is very kind of them because they have the space. But what happens to the um, uh, macaque monkeys, you know, the dancing monkeys on the street. So those have to go. There's a, there's somebody I know who has a farm and we, he actually took my design, which I volunteered for the monkey cage at the zoo and said, why don't you build this huge like monkey house, like this massive gym for them? So our rescue monkeys go to mm. this kind gentleman who's just, you know, humane and loving. And he says, I'll take the monkeys off the street for you. There's an amazing man who does bear rescues in the Punjab. If there's a bear that needs to be uh -huh. rescued from, we sent him to the, send them to the sanctuary there. So I want to like create all of this in a hub here, just outside of Karachi, one-stop shop. 
and then operate whether it's mobile veterinary clinics or grooming services mobile to come out in the city. You know, Karachi, Saadia is like a little world of its own. It's a little mini country of its own. Yeah. Cultures change from one yeah. end to the other. You know, languages change, mm -hmm. people change. So mm -hmm. even if we have our own sanctuary that only um, services the needs of Karachi and its animals, legal, illegal, wild, being traded, beasts of burden, whatever you name it, that would be something that yeah. at least, you know, then we can use that as a pilot project and a model to then replicate elsewhere in the country. This is what Groundbreaking, really, really. There's, there is a lot of work to do. And I'm just wondering that, <laughs> yes, there is. It's all about animal protection. But on the other hand, it's actually teaching humans to be humane as well, right? Enormously, because it is enormously. Imparting that knowledge that, hello, you know, these, just because they can't talk, you have to have full empathy towards them. And so we are, as you said, meant for service. Absolutely. So they so require recently, a equal amount of attention. Recently, I spoke on, um, there was an environment section at the Karachi conference. And they asked me to talk mm -hmm. about SPAR and the work we're doing at the society. And I started off by saying, you know, this biggest issue is, and this issue showed up in a discussion, a wonderful discussion I had with a mentor in the organization, Atika Odo. She and I were talking about this mm. and she said, you know, Zen, I think the issue is that humanity has forgotten how to love. So I opened my, my presentation at the conference saying, we've forgotten how to love. And the work that we're doing through mm. the society is to bring all of our humanity back up. This is a revival of humanity, revival of empathy, revival of compassion, revival of seeing the other, even, even though you don't understand its language. I mean, Imagine we don't go to Paris and say that, well, they don't speak Urdu, so they're Bezaban and worthless. We speak and, and, to, and to eat, we have to learn French to buy that baguette. So, you know, we don't starve to death. But, you know, this whole idea of Bezaban and the, the term Bezaban, you know, comes with a certain sense of condescension to it. That, you know, there's a worthlessness built into it. And I said, you know, we have to change that paradigm and learn how to love again each Correct. other, living beings, nature, the air, the water. So that's the whole presentation for SPAR at the conference was wrapped in this notion that how do we get the humans to be responsible with their, um, with their right, their God-given right as Ashraf al They must use it and use it responsibly. Yeah, yeah. I, I totally agree. It's that um, empathetic network within us on an individual basis, which is just kind of fallen apart. And it it's, has to be done with efforts like yours, which were, which are micro and macro at the same level. <clears throat> yes. And, and I mean, we literally, you've said it because we're juggling, you know, the daily phone calls to what does one do in the bigger picture? All the time, there's this back and forth, exactly what you just said, you know, the micro and the mm -hmm. macro. And it's a very slow process and you keep banging on the same doors, keep getting people to speak the same language. Uh, I'm hoping that it will... You know, I talk at schools, I do presentations at schools, I talk to children about it, talk to teachers about it, you know, trying to get people to just generally not be afraid of the unknown. You know, our society doesn't really, mm -hmm. doesn't really inculcate uh, taking risks with things you don't know about. Everything is calculated and if it's safe, you go ahead and do it. So the animal is an unknown yeah. entity, right? And they're generally afraid and end up being abusive uh, without those intentions, just out of lack of education, lack of knowledge, lack of awareness mm. and mm. fear. Yeah. So that the poor animal yeah. suffers yeah. Uh, almost like a criminal 
for having committed no crime. True. Oh, that's true. That's so true and so painful, though, as well. Um, okay, so moving up to almost the last segment um, of the podcast, what are your uh, three things on your bucket hmm. list? Other than <laughs> other than setting up the sanctuary, <laughs> the sanctuary I think is my uh, like the biggest project in life that I really that really is my slow moving slow burning bucket list is to have the sanctuary mm -hmm. up and about and let that be um an iconic like pilot project for the region so that whole setup should be able to be replicated in iran in afghanistan in russia in china and in india wherever it's required and we're using just like for the zoo we're using best practices from all over the world and then making them culturally appropriate for the design and the management mm -hmm. of the sanctuary so i think that would be in the one thing um, the second thing on my bucket list would be to, I'm, I'm always sort of imagining a learning system. Uh, I want to, to be able to create a university that is based around the edutors. So Cube is basically yeah. uh, registered as a Cube School of Design Technology, where we talk about design innovation in architecture and other forms of design by connecting old school traditional crafts to contemporary technology. And how do we mm -hmm. find a language that is a signature to us? So I'm, that's one of my dreams and on my bucket list is to be able to set up a uh, university of sorts uh, based around this non-classroom um, learning systems Setting. and methods yeah. settings. Yeah. Yeah. That would yeah. be two. You wanted three. Yeah. <laughs> more, more travel. I just, I just want to see more and more and more and more, more travel. There's so much of Southeast Asia I haven't seen. So travel is on my massive bucket list to be able to just travel. Yeah. Uh, I've seen a lot. I've lived in a lot of different countries, as you know, but there's a lot that's still left to see. And I'm a real hands-on. I want to see and touch and feel, um, you know, and spend time with the locals and eat their food and wander around in the Mitte. So that that's the third thing is more How travel. Nice. <laughs> I guess you're, you are making another trip to what, Samarkand, is it? Yes, so the Samarkand trip also, Sadia, is an interesting thing how it popped up. There's a group that's traveled all over Sindh with me. And they said, you know, Zen, mm. you keep talking about the influence of Central Asia and the Islamic architecture coming from there and all of that sort of stuff. Now we've seen all of the major sites in Sindh. Why don't you take us yeah. one step further back to our roots? If you say that our roots mm. and our information if, for Islamic architecture in Pakistan is coming from Central Asia, take us there. So that's how it's happening. The mm. editor to Samarkand and Uzbekistan is as much about their history as it is about ours and the connection between ours. the two. Yep. Yeah. Oh, how exciting is that? It'll be <laughs> really something. Really something. 18th okay. of April, we'll be heading really. out. Really, yeah. Hmm, hmm. I saw, I saw. Okay, just the last segment. I'm yep. just going to, you have to finish the sentence. I'm just going to say a couple of words and you just have to kind of fill in the blank. So, um, for you, Life is a series of discoveries and explorations. The world needs. Uh, the world needs more time. My belief is. My belief is. Hmm, that's a tough one. 
my belief is that each and every one of us can bring about positive change. Clap, clap to that. Learn to listen. Oh, how nice. And the last one is my greatest teacher is, was, are my failures. Clap, clap to that. <laughs> wow. Thank you so much. Thank you so, so very much. It was amazing um, to have this chat with you. And um, so next time I'm down um, in Karachi, I would love to go to one of your editors. Anytime. And thank you so much, Sadia. You know, it's not often that I get to go through all of these topics in such a short amount of time. You know, it's things you do every day <laughs> and then kind of forget about them and their validity or the, your purpose in life often slips. So thank you so much for keeping me aligned and on track and for asking me important questions and hoping to be able to share it with others. I, I can't thank you enough, really. This is so humbling. Very kind of you. I think I think we will have to have a series of podcasts with you because we would want to stay up to date with all that you're doing because these are, as I said, mammoth tasks um, and would we, we would want to be part of their, your journey in terms of taking them all over Pakistan and then, as you're saying, all over the world. So best of luck with all of that. Thank you. And thank I you hope so to much. see you then. Thank, thank you. you. I'll see you later this year. Bye. Thank you. Bye. Absolutely. Bye. Bye. Dear listeners, thank you for listening. All suggestions, ratings and comments would be most welcome. See you next time. Bye.